Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, Ahrefs has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Search Engine Journal Show. I'm your host, Brent Satoris, and today we are joined by Hamlet Batista, CEO and founder of RankSense. Hamlet is an extremely recognized and respected technical SEO, and today we're going to talk about automating SEO tasks, utilizing things like Python, JavaScript, and a lot of open source data, um, as well as some custom data to really utilize automating a number of different elements to help you in your SEO life. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, Hamlet, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Brent. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Um, you know, I think just about everyone who's listening or anybody who's in digital marketing today knows um, of you and, and your work. You're kind of one of the top, you know, technical SEO guys out there right now, which is super exciting. Uh, you know, I, I've mentioned, you know, in, in a number of different places how important I think technical SEO really truly is when it comes to the work that we're doing day in, day out. I mean, it wasn't, but just a couple of years, you know, four or five years ago, we thought SEO's dead, right? It's gone. Nobody's going to do it anymore. And now we realize that it just evolved. It evolved into really a technical SEO role. And, and I think that's super important and super interesting, especially for the future of digital marketing, because I don't think this is going anywhere. And so I'm really excited to have you on and talk about this particular discussion, which, you know, I think what we're going to talk a little bit about for anybody listening today is, you know, automating um, SEO tasks, right? And so auto, automating tasks is really near and dear to my heart. Um, I've been, you know, I was one of the first guys to ever do, you know, social media and, um, you know, way back in like 2005, 2006. And um, one of the things that, that we were able to do is to really create some uh, structures and systems that allowed us to kind of aggregate a lot of what we were doing from promotion, whether it was identifying when things were published so that we could submit them or even getting votes and, and, and kind of understanding and, and maintaining friendships and networking relationships with other influencers. All of these things required us to write a lot of automating scripts. And, and so that that always got it really close to me. But one of the things um, uh, that I noticed was, you know, when content creation came a really uh, powerful thing, you know, four, five, six years ago, maybe even longer, when it was really kind of like everybody was starting to automate um, content creation, really trying to figure out a way to automate social media, automate a lot of these elements. One of the things we saw kind of go downhill was quality, right? So I want to talk to you kind of uh, initially, I wanted to ask, um, 
What's changed about automating today that kind of makes it something valuable, but that doesn't um, reduce the quality of our final product? Like, what is it about automating um, th that has made it better and more effective today than than before? Yeah, no, that's 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 awesome, and I I I feel really privileged to be in a position, you know that. Uh, search engine journal land and all these different places have given me a, a platform to show people that a lot of the stuff that couldn't be possible four or five years ago that we actually wanted to happen now the building blocks are coming into place that's what i will say is what is the biggest change is that we were we had the desire to have see all this stuff happen you know content creation very important Marketers are always going to be producing content. It's an exciting thing. Animated tagging, you know, menial tasks, doing this and that, that's never something that's fun, right? But you have to do it. And what's happened is that when, when I say the building blocks has come, are coming into place is, is two, I'll, I'll see it in two tracks, right? One track is the ability of the machines. What are the machines capable of doing? And the other one is the ability of the marketer, right? So these are the two tracks. The marketer, getting more and more technical skills so that the marketer that started with using express sheets and doing simple formulas now you're seeing incredible work just in the formulas in the sheets right so the marketers are getting more sophisticated marketers with data studio and there is a lot of technical work regular expressions a lot of the tools that we use google analytics google data studio search console all of them uh add more these advanced ways of doing things you know programmatically. So you got that track of the marketer getting more sophisticated by learning to script a lot of the tasks with the, some of the simpler tools that come in into the, you know, something as the sheets, right? In the other end, you also have the machines also getting more sophisticated and more capable. And they're not going to replace the marketer, but they are able to do stuff that was not even possible two years ago. And one of the, the biggest changes I, I will say is um, the what is the deep learning? We started with machine learning, statistical models, stuff like that. But the deep learning is more perceptive capabilities. You know, the machines now have the ability to see things, the ability to understand uh, or extract info, uh, insights from from text, from data that is on structure. So, in just in the last year or two the NLP community, it's been dramatic with stuff that you're able to do. And and I hope that I've been able to show the community a lot of this the latest research, for example, the latest article that can be used to automate so, a lot of the tests. So uh, what are some of the examples for anybody listening? When we talk about automation, um, I mean, a lot of times, you know, people are thinking, you know, uh, for instance, me, uh, you'd be thinking about automating like reporting, being able to automate like elements of determining you know opportunities right like where is an article mentioning me or where is an opportunity for me to get some sort of link or where is there an opportunity for me you know to understand where you know one of my you know questions might show up in in, in google uh one you know uh, quick results or or at the top of the search results for the q a or for faqs or anything else these you know schema based things and opportunity finding and also reporting seem to me like the areas of automation is that accurate or is there other areas that you know in, uh, that are, are influenced by what you can do with an automation aspect and what are the uh, things that uh, SEOs might recognize or resonate with 
Yeah, I would say that 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 will be that's automation, but I would say that that's like phase one of automation, right? That are the obvious things that you know, aggregating data with databases, you know, and doing the reporting. That's automation, right? That saves a lot of time. That's kind of like phase one, right? But you still have you pull all these reports from these different tools, and you have to run analysis on that. You have to write a report from that, right? So that's still now that kind of stuff is also possible. So that's kind of like phase two is where we are right now, that you're taking not just the aggregation of information and the collection of information, which is the, tr the phase one automation, and also the analysis part of the, of the work is being automated, right? And the writing of the reporting is also possible to automate, right? So the latest articles, just look at the latest, the latest article that I published, the last column I published on Search Engine Journal about automatically generating, we're talking about the computer generating titles and descriptions, right? The computer will read an article and will write a summary of the article in an abstractive way. So it's not like it's copying content from the article, but it's actually summarizing the content in the article in a way that that makes a perfect sense from an end user, which will typically take, you know, minutes to do for a user and that computer can do it at a scale automatically. Well, that's I think, and I think that's super exciting. That one example to me is super exciting because it solves one big problem that we don't really account on and that is user fatigue, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when you have to write a lot of titles, a lot of meta descriptions, <laughs> your first couple ones are out of the park, right? I mean, you're like, yeah. they're on point. After a while, you start getting kind of lazy and it starts getting you know less and less on point and that's why you have to break it up and that's why it seems super daunting. Um, that sounds amazing to me, but not even from the standpoint of titles and meta descriptions. It quickly, from me being like into video right now and some of the social, what it does for me is it tells me what could I get for a description, right? What could I put in for a description on a Facebook post for a url what could i put in on a youtube video description that's where it sounds exciting to me um is that i'd like to use that to be able to go and use like a rev.com site give them my you know podcast have them go and give me a transcript run that through some ai to come out with an actual paragraph or two that i can put in this podcast description would be amazing yep. because i don't think i do any justice to the podcast descriptions that i do because i'm trying to do it in five minutes you know and and, and touch on a couple high points so that sounds super exciting to me exactly so so you see that it's a big it's a, it's a giant leap of from just automating reporting data collection in aggregation right into actually having the computer do work right do writing right it's which is a complicated task for humans right so that's what is you know i share your excitement it's incredible right and i also have another article which is very related to what you mentioned about images which also shows you with code how the computer now also can take an image with no text anywhere and generate a description of the image. In a video, you can imagine it's, it's just a sequence of images. So you can take a, you know, a screenshot. A snapshot yeah, of one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, you take a frame from the video caption and have the computer automatically caption it. That's what I was saying that the second phase of automation, is based on perceptive tasks. It's, it's tasks where the computer has to have similar senses as the human as. 
but this is where this is where the big kind of you know caveat comes in for a lot of people who are probably listening is that there was a lot of there was a lot of tools a lot of scripts a lot of things that tried to do this right they said oh we can improve your you know paragraphs or we can write some you know text for you or and and of course with that um became came a lot of like you know, bad uses of it, right? Like spamming mm-hmm. or creating websites, mm-hmm. you know, trying to mash stuff up. But what we always found was that the quality lacked. So, so what has changed that now you can, you know, because if you would have told me you can go and, 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 and read a, an article and write a synopsis, I would say, sure, but it's not going to be like if I wrote it myself, like, mm-hmm. it's not going to be mm-hmm. the same quality. So have we just evolved in technology and the learning and the, and the AI capabilities to be able to truly write? better is that the big factor that's difference between like seven years ago and today yeah yeah so let me tell you why is that right that is the case but i'll tell you why the reason why is is because you have the biggest companies in the world with the largest investments in this technology you're talking about google you're talking about facebook you you're talking about um deep mind you're talking about companies with billions of dollars invested on this microsoft and then they're not only competing, they're not only putting a lot of money and talent, you're talking about the AI researchers, top researchers can be making a million dollars, you know, a year in the salary. So mm-hmm. think about that. That's the kind of investment that these companies are making. And now let me give you the best part. They are making these huge investments and they are having the top researchers, right? And then they are competing against each other and they're making their work free and open so think about how crazy that is that's awesome well i mean they're they're smart they know that the big money's in the advertising right if you can control the flow of data then you can control the ads and you can control the money right biggest dollar spent you know well but let me tell you like for example not all of them are in the advertising right but they're the compute they all compete in the computer in the in the the first one to get in that next level right yeah no, they have like AWS. The big money on these companies that they're making is on the cloud and the cloud services yeah. that they provide, and then it's the the they can monetize all this through the cloud services. Make sure that they are diverse and that they can provide all these technologies, right? So, but 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 the, the motivation, right, is clear why they're doing it. But but think about what is that doing for the progress of that industry? The AI industry is, is progressing, has been progressing at an exponential rate, simple as that. It's been, if we see what's happening, you know, unfortunately with the virus, how fast when you are in an exponential trajectory, how fast, how dramatically things can change, Think about that. that's what's happening on the AI industry. So how, how how much do you think that the you know Google announced that they had quantum uh, computing right? They had, they accomplished the first you know uh, quantum. I'm not as up to speed with that to know exactly how to say it, but I, I do you know what I'm talking about? Where they were the first yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. How how does that how what can you clarify what that is and also what you think that will have an impact on the progression of AI? That's going to have an impact, but it still is, is probably five years or more down the line because this is just still taking baby steps. But that is not the reason why we're seeing the, the dramatic progress that we're seeing right now. When we hit that, that's going to be another massive exponential. And I, I cannot even imagine if what we the capabilities that we have today, what we're able to accomplish, imagine when we're combining 
what we're doing today with those ex- additional capabilities that are coming down the line. And I might be wrong about five years, maybe even shorter, maybe a couple of years. Cause well, it's, what's, it doesn't re- the thing is if it's five, 10, 20 or 50, once we hit it, we, we, the, the rate, when people talk about Moore's law being gone, you know, 10 years ago, that's a blip on the radar compared to what happens when we have true quantum computing in functional computers because the the, 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 you could do a hundred years of research in five minutes. Like I I don't know the the general physics enough to know, you know, the specific numbers, but it's such a massive leap in computing, not only power, but directional kind of, you know, paths, right. To be able to research every probability at one time and coordinate the results of every one of those real time to determine a path that leads you to success. I mean, you've seen it with Deep Crawl and some of the stuff that they've done with the gaming, right? Just allowing the system to learn from itself. Once we have quantum on top of that, it would be it would be phenomenal in the progression we'll make. Yeah, you probably meant Deep Mind. Uh, deep Mind, yeah. I'm sorry, but, Deep Mind. Yeah, yeah Deep Crawl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was just talking about Deep Crawl the other day, and so I think it's stuck <laughs> in my head. Um, so, no, so no, a no, lot no. of this sounds really exciting, um, and I'm sure people are listening. Are like, yeah, gee, that's great. But how, how, how technical do you have to be to be able to do this? I, you mentioned that there are tools that allow you to read. Um, a blog post and write a, a meta description for that and have it be accurate. Can I go and use that tool somewhere, that script somewhere today, or am I required to research the methodology and create it myself? How much do I need to know of Python, JavaScript, and APIs in order to make all of this actually work for me? Yeah, so so um, another good news is on that is that there is... Also, the the massive effort on what they call democratizing AI. Mm-hmm. So, it depends on how cu- how custom is your use case. If your use case is common, you're probably going to find something where you don't have to even write any code to use it, right? So, there is uh, all the top cloudflare providers uh, have tools that they f- call AutoML. So, for example, Google has Microsoft. Uh, Amazon, they have tools that you just provide your data set, right? Or you, there are a, a, a few different ways. You can use a pre-trained data set that already exists and it solves your problem. There's also black box tools like Monkey Learn or Big ML that you can use out of the box. And you say, okay, here's my here's my problem. Run it through the tool. Give me the the predictions that I need. And the predictions can be images, classification, numbers, whatever, right? And then it it depends on how customized is your use case. And then depending on, on, and then you have different layers in between, right? So, so um, their uses, I love the ability to customize because it allows me to move away from the, from the common use cases. So I can come up with more novel solutions. And that's why the, my approach requires a little bit more coding than normal. But even with that, and some of the examples that I've used, they don't need any, any coding at all. So if you use a tool from from Uber, it's called Ludwig, you only need to provide a configuration file, you know, and then you can, and, and, I've, and I, for example, in 10 classification, I've shown examples of that. So you don't, you don't need, you don't even need to do that uh, to, to learn coding. Uh, but the more, 
unique the use case, the more specific and the more noble you want to be about a solution, a particular solution, the more knowledge you need in terms of scripting and in terms of of the AI knowledge that you need for that. Well, one of the places that give us a great example of this was years ago with WordPress, right? A lot of people would be like, oh, well, there's all these other Drupal and like all these other solutions out there. And people would say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between WordPress and all these other ones? And I would say like a million scripts, right? I would say like, <laughs> you can go and search any forum for WordPress and you can write anything you want to do and somebody's written some code to do it. And you can just take that code and apply it and you can make any kind of unique customization you want because for the most part, somebody else has done it when you have a million users out there contributing. Does that fall suit you know, to what we're seeing today? Should people really focus on picking you know, these platforms that are widely adopted so that they can have kind of those uh, different elements and, and, and so forth? Or, or does it really matter? Is it more about learning fundamentally how all of this works so that regardless the platform you choose, you understand how to layer it? Like where, where should listeners spend their time? Finding a really good platform and then learning it or understanding the fundamentals of how to make any platform work for them? I think it, it, I will, if I was, it's hard to predict which platform will be a winner, right? If you remember Brand back in the day, you, you wouldn't predict if it was going to be movable type or WordPress or whatever, sure. right? So it's hard to predict which one is going to be the winner. Uh, so I think it's the best time is invested on mastering the fundamentals. So you, you master the fundamentals and adjusting from the knowledge that you're using one platform from the other is very easy, right? Because it's very hard to predict. And it's typically market dependent, right? So master the fundamentals and you're always going to be able to adapt. So it's going to take you very little effort to adapt. What would, what would you say to people right now are those fundamentals? And, and like, if we were just going to take a moment, like, hey, listeners, you're totally interested in getting into this and you should be interested in getting into this. What are some of those fundamental skills that they should go and take, you know, a free course online or sign up for a master class? What, what are some of these uh, fundamentals that people should learn? So I think one of the fundamentals is 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 uh, is called ETL. So if you Google that ETL, it's, it's called extract, transform, load. Okay. That is those are principles that are going to be applicable, you know, always. That means that is in uh, in machine learning, you have what is called pipelines. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what model you use or what platform or what technology you use, you have to prepare the data to do the predictions to, you know, whatever problem you have, you pull the data from search console, you pull the data from Google analytics, you have to, you have to, you're going to download it in, in different formats. The machine learning models, they need it in a different way than the one you're extracting it. So you need to be able to transform whatever source data, whatever proprietary data you have into the format that you can fit into the models. So I think at a, at a basic level, that should be something that you should invest your time on because even if you're going to use a black box tool, if even if you want to use you know whatever tool you're using, they all need they're all they're all um, they're they're hungry for data, mm-hmm. and data is also data is not a commodity. It's hard to find it. So if you are in a very specific niche, finding keyword intent data set, it's going to be very difficult. 
for didn't doesn't Google have like a data search engine? Isn't there something they launched like a year or two ago? Yeah, it's like a data search a data engine. Sets. Data yeah, sets. Data yeah. sets. Yeah, but 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 as I said, you can that's that's good. You can find a lot of public data sets, but they might not necessarily serve your use case. Sure, sure. Right, and that's why learning to produce these data sets yourself is so important. Right. So that's what, so learning a scripting language or a data transformation tool or language that allows you to take raw data in whatever format it is and reformat it how the whatever tool you're going to use to train and, and produce the predictions is the fundamentals that you should that you can learn and that one of the languages that is the easiest to do data transformations is python and that's what i think also you know having an introduction on python i have a, a, a an article on search engine uh, journal is is um, a guide for for SEO data analysis, which provides a lot of code snippets that you can use. Awesome. And I also have an introduction uh, Python uh, tutorial for SEOs, a hands-on. Uh, it's about automating data Google Sheets, so that you learn about the constructs of the language. So you can awesome. and basically I'll, and think about. I'll make sure that I'll make sure that we get all those in the recap post on Search Engine Journal, all the links to those articles as well. That way, you know, anybody who's listening, check the recap post and you can totally uh, get, you know, some some of those resources. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to take a quick moment. I, I have another couple questions I want to dive into, but I just wanted to take a quick moment to kind of pause and, and listen to a message from our sponsors. Um, and then we'll be right back in just a second. Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, Ahrefs has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes engage traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. All right, back here with Hamlet. And uh, we, we've been talking a lot about automation. Um, uh, we were talking about ETL, uh, data sets. You know, we were talking about uh, Python. Um, you know, another one of the codes, I think, Hamlet, that a lot of people are talking about uh, really having a better understanding would be JavaScript. What's the difference between Python and JavaScript? So I think... Uh the main difference is the for me specifically they're both uh, general purpose languages so in theory you can pretty much accomplish the same things you can do in python you can accomplish them in javascript because this is like you learning you know spanish and english right so you're going to be able to communicate the same things but it's just the syntax of the languages are different right that's in theory right now in practice you're going to find differences in in pre-packaged libraries. Libraries is the are the building blocks. So when you're gonna solve a problem, you're not gonna build the whole problem from scratch. You're gonna rely on third-party tools to do different parts of the problem. And you're gonna find that 
one language has more capabilities or has more extensive third-party support for certain type of problems than others, than the other, right? In my in practice, when I'm doing data analysis, when I'm doing machine learning or deep learning, I find Python to be a much better choice because of the extensive you know, um, third-party support. Like for example, yeah, the, like we were talking about research- earlier. Yeah, exactly. The researchers are writing in Python, right? Facebook, Google, all this amazing stuff is coming to Python first. So I'm not going to find it in, in JavaScript. So that's why that's an obvious thing. On the other end, if I'm doing, um, if I'm working on the front end, and if I'm doing analysis on the front end, I'm doing rendering, I'm doing, uh, under, trying to understand why a page that is JavaScript driven is not, it's not, it's not rendering, then Python has no place there, right? Yeah, it's for all sure. JavaScript, right? Because it's all, about the a lot of the front end systems, you know, that are dynamic are built on JavaScript. If I'm doing service workers or some other really cool stuff that is happening online, it's all JavaScript. If I'm automating the browser, it's JavaScript. So it's it's more about which language has better support for a specific type of problems than the others. That's my that's why I will want for so the So it seems other. like somebody's looking to do this for themselves, right? I mean, and they're not, you know, they're using this to automate certain tasks. It seems like Python would be better. But if you really want to be prepared for the overall technical SEO challenge of today and tomorrow, then JavaScript has to fit into that in some way. Yeah, because all you're seeing a bigger trend of websites becoming JavaScript driven. You're And, and a lot of problems are very complex to to figure out if you don't have an understanding of of the and, and it's not only javascript it's also the DOM model understand the browser how the browser behaves and and a lot of really cool stuff that have an impact on, on seo and also the fact that now the search engines are browsers right so they're rendering pages and stuff so it's, it's very critical that you that you understand that so one of the things that we were talking about earlier you had mentioned like being able to create titles and meta descriptions right and you also mentioned that with you know this whole etl thing that you really need to understand what it is that you're wanting to the instruction you're giving to the data in order to have it analyzed right um and and so i wanted to ask when it comes to you know this example of creating titles or creating um meta descriptions um what are some of the um parameters that you would utilize in order to get the result that you want yeah so 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 the example that i provided in 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 my in my in my article uh, I believe the data set was based on on a CNN uh, public data set of summaries. They provide a list of summaries for articles, and that's how the model was trained. Oh, so one of the challenges, exactly, so one of the, uh, it creates fantastic, you know, summaries and everything. But if you are working with a medical company, if you're working with an e-commerce website, if you're working with travel, so the summaries might not look very, you know, yeah, uh, they're not customized. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not customized to those specific word choices that you might have, or or language, exactly. you know, those mm-hmm. different industries. Um, so mm-hmm. with, with a tool like that, are you able to, like, I mean, you're talking about a data set that's been trained in a certain way, and a lot of what we're talking about seems more like your, 
using the data after it's been trained, right? You're, you're going mm-hmm. out um, because it seems like the complexity level of training the data in itself would be another level of complexity and another net level of knowledge, right? That somebody mm-hmm. just looking to get the information out might not have that knowledge. But is there a way for you to adjust that? I mean, do they give you, are, are these tools and scripts out there that allow you to do that with some ease? Can I say, hey, you've done this with CNN, but I want you instead of reading CNN synopsis uh, and, and summaries, I want you to go and do the same thing for WebMD. Yeah, so so there is a in AI, there is a concept that is called transfer learning. So the way that it works is that you have two ways to train. So you have the base training, right, and where you do the training on a public data set like CNN, and that's going to be a massive, it it might take a lot of time, cost Mm -hmm. a lot of money, and then you have the base training. And then the model will produce decent, you know, summaries, right? But now you want to also create summaries for WebMD, so you can do what is called transfer learning, and then do a fine tuning of the generic uh, model that was trained on CNN, and with a smaller data set, which is based on medical articles, you could, you know, which you're talking, for example, to tell you about scale. I don't remember the number of samples in the CNN. But it might be a hundred thousand or more, right? Mm-hmm. And then fine tuning, you're talking about at, at least an order of magnitude less. You're talking about less than ten thousand. You're talking less about five ten thousand. And it will with that fine tuning step, it will be almost equivalent at if you train the whole thing on, on hundred thousand samples yeah. on medical only, right? For so sure. that's the most popular approach that you take. So you still you do a generic you know, use the generic train model and then fine tune it on a smaller data set. But that brings up the need. That's what I was talking about the ETL. You know, those 5,000 examples will be good for you to know how to produce yourself that smaller data set that is customized to your industry or a specific case. So, So does this seem like something that would benefit almost anyone when it comes to this basic premise of, you know, title tags and meta descriptions alone just for a website. It seems like this this would be well worth the time spent to utilize. So is it the technical side of it that really keeps people from adopting this? What do you think are the roadblocks that somebody would have after listening to this to take the next steps and how would you get past those roadblocks? Um, I think that the roadblocks are, pr- are, are going to be primarily technical. After I write an article, I get a lot of questions about this and that, and I get a sense of that even though I think that the steps that I outline in the article, are, I, I, I think that they're simple because it's just copy and paste. So uh, there's still a little bit of a technical hurdle in understanding, you know, this or how to address this problem or this other problem. So, so I think learning the fundamentals taking a tutorial on in python is beneficial so taking a small tutorial you know it's it's like you're trying to learn how to drive so sure. uh, you have to practice get comfortable get the errors fix them get help you know and and then um and then you're going to be feel really comfortable because the challenge, I think, is you follow the steps like they're outlined, and they're probably going to work really well. 
but it's when something doesn't work for you. Yeah. It's, and that maybe, you know, one option is also to have a developer that you say, Hey, look, I'm going to try this, but when I face an error, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this error means, right? Having a developer that is more familiar with the errors that can happen. Can and I will tell you, developers don't mind helping. I have a lot of really high-end developer friends. They don't mind finding mm-hmm. the flaw. What they don't like and, is when you come to them and say, can you just build this for me? Because most people don't understand <laughs> the complexity of what goes into building something, right? Um, I used to have this a lot with web design. They're like, oh, I want to move this image over there. Yeah, well, moving that image over there requires a rewrite of so many elements that like, what is your reasoning for doing it? Oh, I just thought it looked better, but you haven't even tested it. Like, why would you go through that much work? So I don't think people appreciate like the depth of the work that can go into that. So what I would say um, is absolutely reach out to a developer friend, but do it when you're asking him to find the problem, not create the whole you know uh, solution from scratch. And I think you'll get a lot of people that will be willing to help you. Um, you mentioned the Python and, and, and getting kind of through some of the tutorials. How many hours is that, right? I mean, there's a difference between saying, hey, I'm going to read a car manual for an hour and learn how to drive versus I'm going to study enough about the engine where I can identify how to fix an engine when I need to. And then there's, okay, now I know exactly what to do to fix each part of that engine. How far do people need to go into Python for it to be truly beneficial to them? Is it like an hour quick overview or is it like a 10 hour, you know, basic course? Like what would you recommend? Yeah. And I, I love, and I love that you asked that question because there is a big difference between learning Python when you want to become a developer and you want to be a professional developer. And that is measured in, in, in over a year. So if you want to become a professional developer, you're not talking about hours or a month or it's going to be a year to be proficient to as a professional developer. Now, the good news is, is if you're going to become, you know, I would say a, a code monkey, right? So you're patching mm-hmm. things that within a month, you know, you should be able, because it's more about the practice. Learning the syntax is not going to take you more than a week to learn the, the, the syntax, learn the mechanics. It's not going to take a lot of time. Uh, but learning how to use those skills to solve problems you're gonna you're gonna talk you're gonna be talking about you know about a month but taking a specific approach that i recommend practitioners which is the one that i describe on the article about automating google sheets which is doing solving an, a problem that you already have so take something that you're already mm-hmm. doing that you're very familiar and you are you're already familiar with the process and then you can write a pseudocode. You said, okay, if I want to teach a machine to do this stuff I'm doing manually, let me write it in English. How, what are the steps? Outline every single step. And then you outline every step and you say, okay, now every single step is gonna be a script. It's gonna be a, a function. It's gonna be a program. Let me, let me see how I complete those steps. And a lot of times you can do, you can plug it in once you learn the basics of the of the language, you can just use uh, Stack Overflow. You say, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do this? How do I do that? And then you try the ideas that they tell you in a Stack Overflow, and then you kind of stitch it together, right? Yeah, that's for the sure. That's approach that I would recommend. And also printing out everything that you're doing. Because I've seen, you know, from people that ask me, uh, for some reason, for loops turn out to be really complicated functions. Everybody understands because you use functions in Google Sheets. But the loops construct is not intuitive for marketers. Mm-hmm. So I think that one specifically, 
you want to print what's happening inside the loop so that what your assumptions of what is happening are correct. And once the people, the marketers, they do that, they print what is happening, they realize, oh, I'm not doing this the way, it's not working the way I thought it was working. And then it, it gives them more insights. And that was kind of like the approach that I used when I was teaching the, the basics is I took code that, that, uh, that John Mueller published, a Python code that he published, and I said, let's understand this code. Let's break it down piece by piece. Let's see what is happening here, what is happening there. So that exercise of understanding even code done by others can be very uh, instructive. Yeah, and I mean, I learned, like you said, you call it like uh, patchworking and stuff, right? Is, is, is how I learned how to develop and build websites and everything. I would go and look at a code mm-hmm. and I'd say, I see what this is doing. I want it to do something similar. Let me view the code. Okay, it's calling an image. I see that image. Yep, that image is right there. And underneath it, there's the button. And it says, ooh, on click, do this. Okay, let me go Google on click, do. Oh, here's all the list of what you can do on click. I want this to do something slightly different, right? You walk through it and you solve it. And it's not only does it give you a great sense of satisfaction when you get something like that working, but it doesn't take really that long to start realizing, okay, I can get to that 80% I'm pretty dangerous level relatively mm, quickly. Mm. And and that in itself has Please. allowed me, you know, but I'll tell you, the biggest challenge I had in SEO when I first started SEO, and this was ages ago, was I had a really hard time understanding 301s. Because everyone would talk about it like, oh yeah, you just added 301 to your HD access and then it just it redirects. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't understand why. Like, I, you know, I didn't understand. And so people would talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And I was like, I just don't quite get it. And then at a certain point it hit me. and I was like, oh, that's really, really easy. Right. Like, how did I not get that? And so once you start picking those things up, everything starts becoming quicker and quicker and quicker. And now I can set up servers. I can set up websites. And I've never once studied um, any of these things. I've just kind of hacked around and played around and looked at a mm-hmm. server that was already set up and said, what kind of things? Same thing I do with the router at home. I'm like, what my settings are now? What should they be? Right. And Google, I think that, you know, people have to remember that this is something that really probably wouldn't take you a ton of time um, if you get past that intimidation factor. But I mean, just mm-hmm. imagine the amount of time people would save on the work they're doing on the other end. I mean, I'm personally going to re-listen to this um, a couple times, probably before this is even live and and try to walk through this just to get the description writing alone you know i just think that's so valuable you know exactly and that and that's what i love and that's why i think that this approach because you know brent i think getting people excited is important the motivation factor of this is very important and that's what i if you see my approach with all my writing is i lead with the outcome i said this is what you're going to accomplish after you do this and it's something that is desirable. It's something that you see, wow, I, I want to be able to do this stuff. And yeah, you, you're playing with the code and you're making changes and you're making it do something else that was intended. It's a, it's a great accomplishment. It's like you're playing playing video games, right? You're playing well, video games. It, it just reminds me of early SEO in a way because, you know, there's not often these days, people, where something comes along that gives you a huge advantage. Right. I mean, I remember back in the day, my friend, you know, Jeremy Shoemoney, um, Shoemaker, 
we would we would look at some of these tools to like come up with you know um, keywords and how I used to there was tools out there where we could scrape websites do on you know mouse over redirects to the host load all the graphics from a host site throw up all these affiliate sites that would just look like the original site drive keywords through them make a ton of money doing very little but anybody else that you would tell it to would be like I have no idea how to do that and we were like yeah because you don't have the tools or you don't have the knowledge right and so you know back when you know, Spy Foo first came out and you could grab everybody's keywords that they were already kind of figured out. Like these things were super exciting. And then there's been, there was a big period where there wasn't a lot of things that you could get on early and have a huge impact. But this sounds definitely like something that is at that point where if you could get in and learn this now, the doors it opens for success. The, the amount of money, the amount of business, the amount of success that you could have on the other side of this is, is just huge, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. So get out there and learn that. more. And and this is actually something I think that you're going to talk a little bit about. Um, we're, you know, at, at Search Engine Journal, we have uh, the SEJ E-Summit, which is coming June 2nd. And this is one yeah. of those things where I think you're going to be talking about automating content generation. Um, do you want to just touch mm-hmm. on a little bit about what you're going to be talking there? Because I think this would be really interesting for anyone listening and also for anybody who happens to attend that event, which is um, June 2nd and totally free right now. Um, so if you haven't registered, register. But can you tell us a little bit about that topic, what you're going to you touch on yeah so so my plan is to take this concept of a title generation and and show you where we are in ai also not just in media tag generation but also in actual content and there are a lot of different techniques i yeah it's really cool and i have i had a webinar i did last year for deep crawl we show you what we could accomplish back a year ago and it's what we can accomplish is a year later, it's even more incredible, and I I'm, I can't wait to dive in into that and show you uh, 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 techniques. For example, asking questions. So now you can use questions as the framework to guide the content generation. Have the machine produce content based on questions that you're asking, and the machine can use con- uh, answer the questions based on actual context that you provide. But it's called the the open book questions, or you can also ask the computer to generate content based on questions that are closed book, which is based on what the computer learned from the from the pre-training uh, that weights that it accomplished during the, the pre-training phase. That's really it's interesting. It's interesting because mm-hmm. we talk about content creation. We say, okay, go in and look at your search uh, uh, queries that are on your website search engine, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, and then you say, okay, well, go in and look at other questions from people also searched. And exactly. one of the things I've always recommended to people is go find your competitors' support forums and find all the questions they're as- asking. Because a lot of times these companies don't actually man their own support forums, right? So you end up having questions that have been there for years and nobody's even answered them, right? But these are questions mm-hmm. that you see, I have that same question, I have that same question. Well, if you could then take and get all the support forum questions that people have about competitors in the industry as a whole, and then feed in to basically churn out answers for this, that could be a huge opportunity for people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're stealing, you're stealing the idea for the, for the, 
for my, my presentation. Well, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's your idea. And I think anybody who joins is going to be impressed and I'll be there. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, watching and participating as well and learning. So I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, look, I can only imagine, um, that people listening have to be as excited about this concept. Even if you are out there listening a little intimidated, um, man, this is exciting. And I'm sure you probably have a ton of questions. You're going to want to read all of Hamlet's articles and figure it out. Hamlet, where can people find you to start kind of following these articles, finding these articles, finding information, contacting you to ask a question. Where can people find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So the place where I'm more active is in Twitter. So they can look for Twitter, Hamlet Batista altogether. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. And I write a, a monthly column on Search Engine Journal, where I share all these, all these ideas and code. Uh, they can go to my website, ranksense.com. Um, and I've been speaking and, and writing also right for Search Engine Land. And, and also I speak at a lot of different conferences. And, and LinkedIn, they can also find me. I post some content there as well. Hamlet Batista on LinkedIn. Beautiful. And like, uh, I, and like I mentioned before, we're going to get, uh, you know, all those articles and we're going to link them all up in the recap so everybody can check that out. Hamlet, man, I mean, I'm super excited. I don't always get super excited from, you know, discussions, but I'll tell you today, I'm super excited about learning this. I'm going to go dive in. I'm going to get my hands wet and start learning <laughs> some more. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Beautiful. Thank you for having me and, and definitely let me know how it goes, you know, if you need any help with the code or anything, how to help as well. Cheers. Thanks. Awesome. Hey there, I'm not Brent Satoris. I'm not Danny Goodwin. And I'm not Lauren Baker. That's Greg Finn and Jess Budd, and I'm Christine Zernhaus. If you listen to the Search Engine Journal show, we think you'll love our critically acclaimed SEJ network podcast, Marketing O'Clock. Join us every week as we report the latest SEO, PPC, and social media marketing news. This is a show for real-life marketers who want to do great work. And because we're IRL marketers too, we know you're talking about attribution, schema, and CPCs all day long. So we keep it light with plenty of spicy hot takes, puns and rants. Plus, we talk about what's working hard and what's hardly working in our accounts and share what news stories have us saying WTH every week. So if you're ready to become a better marketer, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and listen to new episodes fresh for you each and every Friday morning. Only on the SEJ Network.